All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Last week we finished verse 25 in chapter 8. So today, start with verse 26. Okay? So, John 8, 26. All right. We'll read this little section from 25 to 30 together and then start our Bible study at verse 26. Then he said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They didn't understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. All right. So, we see that Christ is responding uh, to their question, right? Who are you? He says, you know, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Uh, And we spoke about how this could take two different meanings, right? Uh, As if he's telling them, the one who is from the beginning is the one speaking to you. Or in another sense, like, I've been telling you the same message all along. Like, it's the same message from the very beginning, right? Like, I'm, I'm very consistent I'm telling you that I am the Messiah, okay? And then he goes on to say, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Okay, and this is where we want to begin our meditation today. Okay. What's he basically saying in verse 26 right there? Many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. Like, what's the fact that he who sent me is true have to do with having many things to say and to judge concerning them. There's almost like this opposition, right? Like, I have a lot to tell you and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. Right? What is this whole contrast? So, he's telling them that there's a big problem with their lack of faith, like how they're still doubting him. And so there are many things that he can judge about them, right? There are many things that he can condemn in their mindset, in the way they're reacting to his words, right? But his father is true, which means that his father sent him to correct their lies and their doubts, like to save them not to condemn them, right? His father sent him to speak the truth. So that means it's not time for condemnation right now. It's not the time for judgment, all right? Even though they're definitely worthy of condemnation because of their doubts, right? They still don't believe. Does that make sense? Okay. And then he says, I speak to the world those things which I heard from him, okay? That's self-explanatory. We know that 
Christ has no agenda of his own, right? He's doing the will of the Father. He's speaking the words that the Father has given him. Like we say that he is the word of God himself, right? That's clear, right? Okay. Any comments or questions before we go to 27? Okay, so obviously they still don't understand, right? They didn't understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Now, is this really the problem that they don't understand? They don't want to understand, but can we say that they don't actually understand? There's a little problem with the translation here, okay? Well, the issue is not so much their lack of understanding, although that's... The, the implications we get from this sort of translation that we have, right? Because it literally says, they didn't understand. <laughs> but the Greek word here is agnosen. Okay? Whenever it says understand, it comes from the Greek word agnosen. What does that sound like? Like the word nos. Like someone who's agnostic, someone that just doesn't know if God exists or not, right? Like someone is not really a believer, not really an atheist, he's just agnostic, right? A means without, gnosis means knowledge. Hmm? Right, so the Greek word here for understand is that they didn't know that he spoke to them other father. There's a, there's a big difference. Because how did we define knowing God earlier? To know God isn't just like this intellectual matter, right? How do we define it? Exactly. It's to have this relationship, to believe in God. To know God is to believe in God, right? To have a relationship with Him. It's intimate. So, is he criticizing them because they didn't understand what he's saying? No. He's criticizing them because they didn't believe in what he's saying. Okay? The problem is not their lack of understanding. It's their lack of faith. Okay? And this is always how God deals with us, by the way. God never holds it against us if we just don't have the capacity to understand. That's fine. But if you don't believe, well, you don't need to understand to believe. <laughs> it's all about faith, right? You just experience God, you taste His sweetness, and you take that leap of faith. And that's what really matters, right? That's what God cares about here, okay? Any comments or questions about that? They're, they're separate because the word here is to believe. Right? He's criticizing them because 
they didn't believe. So this is the way this verse should be written. Okay? They did not believe that he spoke to them of the Father. Okay? That's how we should read verse 27. Literally, it would say they did not know that he spoke to them of the Father, but we, we now understand what that word to know really means, right? To believe. Right? So there's a difference between understanding and believing. Right? Well, they, they, they believe that God exists, but they don't believe that Christ is the Messiah. Okay? Okay. Any other comments or questions? All right. Next is a big one, and I know we've covered this before, so it should be pretty simple. Okay, in verse 28, he said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Okay. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. How do you think that sentence is actually written. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know what? That I am. Period. Okay? It's not grammatically correct, but that's ego amy, right? You'll know that I am. But before we get into all of that, what is this lifting up about? When you lift up the Son of Man. The cross. Very good. We covered that several times. Okay, it's the Greek word ipsou. Okay, but it doesn't just mean the cross, right? What else does it mean? It's to exalt, to glorify. To lift up means to be raised up to the cross, because you know the crucifixion happens up on the cross, right? Like you're lifted up on the cross. So there's this lifting up, which all, always alludes to the crucifixion, but it also means exaltation or glorification. You know, whenever like I, I lift up someone's name, it means I praise them, right? I exalt them. So that word also means to exalt. So you always have this like beautiful double meaning whenever you see this word to crucify and to exalt and it's beautiful because the crucifixion is the glorification or the exaltation of God okay we do we do in, in different different hymns all over okay but remember <clears throat> what I told you about like, keeping a certain verse in mind as we go through this whole passage? What verse did I want you to, to keep in mind? Remember I told you, look ahead and keep this specific verse in mind. It's this verse here in the end of the section, verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Okay? So, now... Looking at what he actually said, the words that he spoke will tell you why many believed in him. 
Okay? And this verse in verse 28 about how he's telling them when I'm crucified, right? And then they all recognize that he's implying the crucifixion. Like this was clear. For us, it's not that clear, but for them, that word ipsa'u always meant the cross. Okay? So when, when they hear someone speaking in this way, you know, it's not like someone who's like flexing his muscles, right? It's someone that's actually speaking of his own humiliation. Okay? And that's what will eventually appeal to them. Okay? So, this is what St. Cyril says about that. Here, Jesus is saying, Since you're looking only to the flesh, you believe that I'm merely a man, and you suppose that I'm just like you. But the dignity and the glory of the Godhead doesn't even enter your mind. However... You shall know that I am God of true God and light of light through your dreadful and lawless act, my death on the cross. Okay? So he's basically telling them, you don't recognize my true identity right now, but you will recognize that when you see my crucifixion. Okay? And that's literally what happens, right? When he's crucified, even the soldier that crucifies him recognizes that truly this was the Son of God. Right? So, it's the humiliation of God, the cross, is what reveals his glory. Right? And that's what appeals to them. Like, that's what wins their hearts. Okay? Remember, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. So they're listening to him talking about his crucifixion and there's something humble about these words that appeals to them, that wins them over to the extent that now they believe in Him. All right? <clears throat> yeah, and then you'll basically get that very same sense in these last couple of verses here in the, in the section. So, he says, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Right? There's such humility in, in his words here. Okay? I do nothing of myself. I always do those things that please him. Right? So that's what appeals to them. So it was his humility that pierced their hearts and caused them to believe. Right? And I think... There's no surprise in that, right? Like we, we know that it's the compassion of Christ, His love, that always wins our hearts, right? St. John Chrysostom says, When he brought his speech down to a more human level, many believed in him. Do you still ask why he spoke so humbly? And yet the evangelist clearly alludes to the reason here, all but proclaiming aloud, do not be disturbed at hearing so humble a speech from Christ. For those who had heard the greatest doctrines from Him and were still not persuaded that He was from the Father were persuaded by these more humble words. Okay? So, it's convicting because humility is the most persuasive tool that we have. Okay? You know, Christ d didn't flex and... Prove his strength. 
He just humbled himself in front of him, and that's why many believed in him. Okay? So we need to prioritize that whenever we're interacting with others. Right? Like we need to come down to the level of other people. To have this humble approach, that's what wins other people over. And that's what causes others to believe in Christ. Not like this aggressive and dominating sort of approach. Because Christ is mighty. He's, he's true God of true God, but he chose to come down to their level. Right? Any comments or questions? All right, we're going to go to the next section here. All right, so we'll read from 31 to 36, okay? Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. Okay? For starters, who's he talking to now? More specifically, the ones who believed in him. Okay? The, the conversation becomes a little bit more specific now. Like he was talking to everyone in the crowd earlier. Right? But now, he's talking to those who believe in him. Okay? Okay, so, here's a big word. Disciple. Okay, what does it mean to be a disciple? Hmm? Follow him. Okay. How does he define it right here? If you abide in his word, then you're his disciple. Okay. He literally spells it out. If you abide in my word, then you're my disciple. Okay. So, what's the difference between someone who just goes to an elder and asks for some advice and follows that elder's advice and you know like goes and like really does what the elder says and an actual disciple okay goes to preach not necessarily okay what's the difference between someone i just who just goes to an elder asks for advice, and he walks away and does exactly what the elder tells him. And like follows what the elder says. Compared to an actual disciple. Almost there. It's that word, abide. Okay? If I go to an elder, and I ask for some advice, I, I take that advice, I walk away, I implement that advice, it doesn't mean I'm a disciple of that elder. Right? 
what makes me a disciple of that elder, if I abide by that elder's word, like I live according to that elder's word, right? Like I make myself at that elder's disposal, right? I'm committed to remain and continue with that elder. I don't just go take a word of advice and like walk away and just implement what he said, right? If I read the Bible, I just take a word, I walk away and I like try to apply it. Okay, that's great. But not necessarily a disciple unless I continue following and abiding by the teachings of the scriptures. That makes sense? Remember we just spoke about St. John the Short a couple of days ago, right? That's what it means to be a disciple. Okay, remember what I told you in the sermon about how he followed Abba Bimwa even while Abba Bimwa was on his deathbed. And he says, like, you know that dead branch, that walking stick that you planted 12 miles away? You know, I want you to go over there and live there after I depart. And he could have said, well, after you depart, like, I don't have to listen to you anymore. It's game over. Like, leave me alone, give me a break. But he was living a life of discipleship. So there's a, a person who is committed to abide by his elder's word, even after his elder is gone. He made himself a disciple of Abba Bimwa, even in Abba Bimwa's absence. He followed constantly. And that's what distinguishes like a casual Christian from a disciple. Okay? I continue abiding, remaining in His Word. I live by His Word. I'm constantly governed by His Word. Okay? St. Augustine says, It's a small thing for a disciple to come to Him. It's a much greater thing to continue in Him. Therefore, He doesn't say, If you hear or come or praise My Word, he says, if you continue in my word. Right? And that's another way of translating the word abide, continue or remain. Okay? St. Gregory uses this example of going to battle. Right? If a soldier is going to battle, he needs to commit himself to the, the whole job of preparing for this battle. Right, like he needs to continue getting ready, put on the armor. And then he says, what would you say about this soldier if like, he puts on a breastplate and like, forgets about his shield, his helmet, like, goes out with no sword and just like, goes out into the battle? Right? Didn't finish the job. Right? Like, you have to continue in the course of action, in your work. Okay, and commenting on this, this whole concept, St. Gregory says, One stone doesn't make an entire tower any more than obeying one commandment lifts the soul to the required height of perfection. Right? Just as like putting one stone in a tower doesn't actually finish the tower, 
Following one commandment doesn't make me a perfect Christian. Like I need to commit to the commandments and continue. That's what a life of discipleship is all about. Okay? Discipleship is commitment. Commitment to His Word. Okay? Any comments or questions about that? Okay. It's easy living a life of discipleship, right? <laughs> no, he he was yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So I want to look at this next part uh, a bit closely because it's very, very important talking about truth and freedom, slavery and all of that. Okay. So I want to look at it theologically, but first let's just cover the moral sense of this whole concept. Okay. How do we define freedom? Okay. He says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What does it mean to be free? Does absolute freedom exist? No? A lot of you are shaking your head. No, why why not? Absolutely. Even our own circumstances, right? Like, we're bound by the nature that formed us, right? And, and the nurture that we've received. Like, we're not born in a vacuum and just, like, free to do whatever we want. Like, we're all wired with certain predispositions. Okay? So, Father Matthew the Poor says, the saying is deceitful that claims that people are born free from their mother's wombs. For a slave is born of his mother's womb, a slave. A prince is born from his mother's womb, a prince. A heathen is born from his mother's womb, a heathen. A Jew is born from his mother's womb, a Jew. And the same applies for Muslims and Christians and atheists. Right? So, we all have these influences in our life that shape us and mold us. Right? Some are good, some are bad, right? But we all develop with these influences, and all of these influences mold us to have a certain disposition, right? We're wired to act a certain way, kind of forms our will. So we're not absolutely free in that sense, okay? In Romans chapter 6, St. Paul talks a lot about this, but if we just look at one verse, in verse 19, it says, For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And so he's saying, just as you were slaves of uncleanness, now present yourselves as slaves of righteousness. Why? Because you're slaves of one or the other. You're bound to one or the other. 
you will walk in one direction or the other, right? And what governs you is what enslaves you. Even if you're governed by this notion of having no principles, <laughs> right? Then you're bound by this life of anarchy. <laughs> I, I have absolutely no rules governing me, and, and that becomes what dictates your life. Does that make sense? So how, how can we define freedom? To know the truth, okay? Yeah. It well, in general, how would you generally define freedom? Okay. Okay, I see. What else? When we're free from sin. Okay, a very good theological definition. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> okay, it's like the absence of constraints, right? Yeah. Nothing really holding you back, right? We can say that freedom is the capacity to choose without any restraints limiting your will, okay? to have the ability to just choose without anything restricting you. That's freedom. Okay? So anything that manipulates you or deceives you does what to your will? It constrains your will, right? It limits your freedom. Okay? All right. But that's precisely what lies do. Okay? Lies confine you and enslave you. So it's like living in a false reality. That's why the word for truth in Greek is what? I mentioned this to you before. It's aletheia. What does that literally mean? It's to uncover, to reveal. Right? So in a sense, truth is about Allowing reality to surface. That's why it's always connected to the light. Remember how I always draw your attention to that connection? That truth and light go hand in hand. The light reveals. It exposes the reality. Like there's nothing hidden in the light. So the truth uncovers. Right? So it means to expose reality. So it's the exact opposite of delusions and lies. So you can't be free, truly free, in a fantasy or in a delusion. Because that's why the truth sets you free. Because freedom is the absence of those deceptions. When you're living in the truth, you're living in reality. Okay? You're eliminating the lies, the deceptions, the delusions. And that's what freedom's all about. Okay? So now let's look at this spiritually. Like what sort of freedom is Christ talking about here? Freedom from what? Death. From death. Freedom from what produces death, which is sin. Right? And so they're talking about this concept like 
they're, they're alluding to Abraham as like their, their safety net. Right? And they're saying, we're Abraham's descendants, so we've never been in bondage. Right? They're not thinking about sin. What are they thinking about? Like a physical slavery, right? Which is pretty strange because that doesn't even apply either. <laughs> like, well, what happened in Egypt? They were slaves, right? And after they passed through the Red Sea and the wilderness and all of the rebellion and the nations that attacked them, what happened after the captivity in Babylon, even as they're talking right now, is there a certain authority that is oppressing them? Of course, the Roman authority, right? So they're, they're totally like delusional. <laughs> okay? So what does he tell them in verse 34? Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Right? Because sin is this delusion that enslaves our will. Okay? And truth is the antidote to this delusion. That's why truth is freedom. Truth is that reality. And the ultimate reality is who? It's Christ. Right? We exist from Him and through Him. Right? He is the truth. He is the source of all existence. Right? And so, freedom is to live in Christ without the constraints of sin, without the deceptions and the delusions of sin. Okay? Does it mean that you get to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Like when you ask any of the youth, like, what does it mean to be free? They'll tell you, it means like to do whatever I feel like. Right? Then by that definition, you're actually bound by all of the impulses that dictate your decisions. Like I feel like doing this one time, I feel like doing that at another time. And so, I'm enslaved to all of these feelings and the circumstances. I just do whatever I feel like, and I have no real control over my life. And this is what Father Jacques Philippe, I, I mentioned this quote before to you, I, I think it just summarizes it perfectly. He says, real freedom doesn't mean being ruled by one's impulses from one moment to the next. Just the opposite. Being free means... Not being a slave to one's moods. It means being guided in a course of action by the fundamental choices one has made. Choices one doesn't repudiate in the face of new circumstances. So if I'm truly free and I decided that I'm going to work out tonight, whenever I get tired at the end of the night and I get a little bit lazy and I don't feel like going to the gym, I still go to the gym despite my feelings, you know, pushing me to stay at home, that means I'm truly free. Because I'm living intentionally. I'm living according to the, the will that I have 
like decided to follow. Okay? Make sense? Now apply this to sin and what happens to our will when sin enters our life, we're crippled. We're crippled by the, the changes in our mood, the, the circumstances. When I get lazy, I don't feel like doing this. Whenever it gets a little uncomfortable to tolerate a, a certain person or a certain task or whatever, I say, oh, just forget it and, and I kind of drop it and I move along, right? That's why in, in the very next verse, verse 35, that a slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Okay? What's that have to do with this whole topic? What did they understand about slavery at this time? Like, put yourself in their shoes and you're hearing all the stuff that Christ is saying. What did they know about slavery at this time? What makes someone a slave? Okay. Could could Jews have slaves? Yeah, absolutely. Right? So there is definitely this aspect of the Roman oppression, right? But a person becomes a slave when he owes a debt, right? And he can't pay that debt. So what does he do? He says, look, I'm going to work for it, right? And I'll be your slave for like a year to pay this debt. If I have a really big debt, then I'm your slave for like 20 years, whatever, right? Slavery was this debt that they would pay in return for what they owe. And what would happen if you die without paying that debt? You die a slave, and you didn't finish paying for that debt. It gets passed down. Your children assume that debt, and they're born as what? As slaves. Okay? Okay, keep this in mind, because it's going to set the context for what he's talking about here. you have a question? Yeah. And that's definitely a part of it too. So you're you're not far from what the 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 message Christ is making here. Um but even whenever a, a master has a certain slave and he's going to work for him for like a few years or maybe he's like born a slave and like the master just owns the slave can he just like sell him whenever he wants? Absolutely, right? 
So a slave doesn't abide in the house forever. He's at the master's disposal. Does that make sense? Yusuf. We inherit the condition of this fallen human nature, okay? But we don't, like, inherit the actual sin. Like, I am not guilty of my parents' sin or my ancestors' sins or the sin of Adam. But if parents did drugs, let's say the mother is pregnant and she's doing drugs, she's going to inherit the consequence of what she decided to do, right? Physiologically, right? And we see that. So I think our actions also have consequences the same way as someone doing drugs has physiological consequences. Right? If parents are abusive in, in the home, the consequences or the impact of raising children like that will definitely impact the children. Right? But I am not going to like inherit the actual sin or to be guilty of that sin from my parents or my ancestors. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So. <clears throat> a slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Okay, and that's the second part of that verse, is basically what Hope was alluding to. Like, like the prodigal son left, betrayed his father, although he wasted all of his money, he came back, he's still a son, right? So he abides forever, you, you retain the status of sonship. Forever. If you are a son, you remain a son. Okay? Okay, now, during this time, not only can the master free the slave, like after, like he works, if he wants to let him go earlier, like obviously he could free the slave. Not only can the master free the slave, but any of the master's family members can free the slave. Even who the son, right? The son doesn't have the authority of the father, but a son can free the slave as well. Or so, when you read this, this, this verse here in verse 36, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed, right? There's like a little play on words here, okay? Right? And this freedom, it's about aligning our will in the right direction because we, we said absolute freedom in, in the sense of like living in this vacuum without any influences impacting your will doesn't actually exist, right? That only applies to God, okay? So our notion of freedom is living according to the image and the likeness that God gave us. To be free is to have the capacity to choose righteousness without the 
constraints of sin. Does that make sense? So our, our will follows one way or another. Like it doesn't transcend the influences of our nature. Does that make sense? We're all susceptible to our upbringing and, and the influences around us. So Christ frees us by realigning our will towards our original disposition, like our natural disposition, which is for purity, for righteousness, for holiness. Right? St. Cyril says, when the Son himself wills to free anyone, infusing his own good into them, they're called free indeed. Did you catch that? So how does Christ free us? When the Son himself wills to free anyone, he infuses his own goodness into them. So he redirects our will back to its original orientation. Does that make sense? And so we are liberated in that way. That's what it means to have freedom in Christ. And again, there is this play on words. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Right? Because in one sense, it is the Son who is free. To be free means to be as a son. But it's also the Son who makes you free, who liberates the slave. Does that make sense? Yes, St. Augustine says, Our freedom comes when we subject ourselves to the truth. And this truth is our God who frees us from death, that is, from the condition of sin. For he himself spoke of this truth as a man among people when he spoke to those who believed, if you remain in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. For the soul enjoys nothing in freedom unless it enjoys it in peace. Okay? So that's what it means to be liberated. Okay? It's to abide in the truth. So all goes back to abiding in my word. Right? Living according to his word. To be disciples. In a sense, to be a slave of righteousness. That's freedom. So you are a slave to one set of principles or another. You just at least get to decide where you want your enslavement to belong. And that's what freedom means. Freedom means you get to decide where you consecrate your life, how you dedicate your life. Okay? And so this is the life that Christ himself lived. When you think about how he himself freed us from sin, what did he do? Did he come and just say, look, I'm going to show you what freedom is all about. I'm going to do like whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. No. He came in the form of a bondservant. But this is what we have in Philippians 2, verse 5, 6, and 7. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a what? Of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. So how, how did he liberate us? How did he give us freedom? By becoming a slave. Right? By becoming a bond servant. Right? So how do we find freedom in our life? What do we have to do? We walk in the very same path. 
Because the true free man, the only one who has real freedom, is the one without sin. And who was that? Christ. If you want to find like the perfect free man, it's not the man who's never been in prison. It's not the man who has a lot of money. It's the man who's lived without sin. And that's Christ. And so if I want freedom, is to walk in his truth. Right? This is the way St. Paul describes it about his own life. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 22, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, a doulos, a slave to all, that I might win the more. And he goes on to explain how he's become like the Jews or become as those who are under the law, like those who are without law. I became as the weak. Right? I made myself a slave to all. Right? Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. Right? And in St. Paul, we see a man who lived with true freedom. Okay? Any comments or questions about that? So let's make ourselves slaves of righteousness, to abide by his word, to abide by the truth. Okay, and we can all ask ourselves, to what extent am I a disciple of the truth? To what extent am I committed? Right? Going back to St. John as that example. Right? Like I'm living by your word. I'm not just going to take a piece of advice and like walk away and then forget about everything else. No, I'm continuing remaining in the truth. Alright? I can stop there just because we have one more minute and uh, it's not going to be enough to move on. But any comments or questions before we conclude? Alright. There's a lot. A lot of good stuff on truth and freedom. May God give us the grace to live in His truth, to truly live freely in Him. Unto Him is do all glory forever. Amen.